Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast, where we believe that you get to create who you have been and who you become, and that it's often the smallest changes and actions that make the biggest difference. I'm your host, Dave Jorner, and each week I will bring you the best guests, tips, and messages to inspire and help you and me do life even better. Thank you for joining me today. Now, let's get started. Hi friends, and thank you very much for choosing to spend some time with me today. And a special thank you to everyone who responded to my call out in the Do Life Better Facebook group. Uh, I asked you what questions you wanted me to include in my chat with Cass Dunn today. So I have included all your questions in this episode. Be sure to listen out for those ones. And also... A thank you for all the reviews and the ratings that have been coming in nicely lately. And today's fan of the week is S Jackson 98 And they say, great podcast and teachings and five-star rating. Thank you very much. They go on to say, thank you for your motivation. The positive message relayed in a concise and relatable way makes this podcast effective for me in order to live my best life. I spend a lot of time on my physical health, so this reminds me that my mental health is very important. I look forward to future episodes. S. Jackson, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking that time to reach out, to send me a rating and a review. And again, I love knowing what you find helpful in these episodes. So if you haven't left a rating or a review yet, please make sure you do now. It only takes a couple of seconds. You can do it in whichever app you use to listen to this podcast. So again, S. Jackson, thank you very much for leaving me a rating and a review. Now, I've been really excited about bringing you today's episode. I had a lot of fun chatting with today's guest, who is Cass Dunn, and she is a clinical psychologist and a coaching psychologist, a mindfulness meditation teacher, the resident psychologist at tiffxo.com, which is an online health and fitness program. She's a host of the wildly popular Crappy to Happy podcast that has over 3 million downloads. That's right, 3 million downloads. And she's the author of the Crappy to Happy books. During our chat today, she actually decided to give you, that's right, you only, the Do Life Better family, she decided to give you all a special $50 discount off her upcoming online mindfulness course. I think I said 50% off during the chat, but it is $50 off her mindfulness course. And I highly recommend you sign up to this. So make sure you go to castdun.com forward slash courses dash events. That's castdun.com forward slash courses dash events and sign up for the Mindfulness for Busy People eight week online course. Now make sure you enter the coupon code do life better. That's lowercase do life better to receive your $50 off. Again, make sure you do this because as you'll see in our chat, this course could be a complete game changer for you in terms of your self-compassion, your abilities to handle and process stress, anxiety, anger, and the whole range of emotions, which will all help you live your life even better. So again, make sure you do take advantage of this very special offer, which is only for our Do Life Better family. So again, Go to Cass Dunn, that's C-A-S-S-D-U-N-N.com forward slash courses dash events and use the coupon code Do Life Better, which is all lower case. You can also find the link to this eight-week mindfulness for busy people course if you go to her Instagram page, which is at Cass Dunn underscore X. Oh, that's at Cass Dunn underscore XO. Follow the link tree link 
and it will take you directly to that course. Now, I had an absolute blast chatting with Cass, as you can tell in this episode coming up, and she dives into what mindfulness is and what it is not, the outcomes we can expect by practicing mindfulness regularly, how to calm your mind, the optimal amount of time to practice mindfulness each day. That's right. Apparently, they have figured out the amount of time you need to spend in mindfulness each day for it to be really effective and much, much, much more. Again, as I mentioned at the start, we do go through the questions that you asked me to include in this chat with Cass today, so make sure you listen out for those ones. So as usual, please do take a screenshot of this episode, share it in your Instagram stories or as a post. Please tag Cass in there. She would love to be able to say thank you for listening, so tag her in. Again, that is at CassDunn underscore XO. Also, make sure you tag me in at Dave Joyner and at Do Love Better Podcast. I know you're really going to benefit from this chat with Cass today. So for now, let me introduce you to Cass Dunn. Cass, thank you very much for joining us today on the Do Love Better Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And I've been listening to your podcast, Crappy to Happy. And I'm also really keen to check out your new book called Crappy to Happy as well. And before we dive into it, Cass, um, I put a call out on Facebook last night for some questions from our listeners. And one of our listeners, Zoe, actually sent in a nice message, which I thought you might like to hear, Cass. Um, So Zoe says that Cass Dunn is amazing. Uh, She says that she does TIFF XO and she's so lucky to be able to hear from you today. She's so happy to be able to hear from you frequently. You are so sincere and honestly helpful. She was trying to think of a question she could ask you to answer that would be able to help others in a um, really nice way because she says that you know you answer all the questions in other podcasts brilliantly and um, she's really looking forward to actually hearing this one. So again, Zoe um, loves your work. And uh, is really keen to hear this chat. Yeah, so I'm the psychologist on TIFFXO, obviously, which is Tiffany Hall's online fitness program. And that's why how Tiff and I ended up doing our podcast together initially back in the early days. Um, But I do a weekly Facebook Live inside the TIFFXO community. And so people, you know, they all get to ask their questions. And, you know, obviously, then we made the podcast almost as an extension of that to go into more detail with a lot of the questions that were coming up inside that community. So, yes, I do. I am very active in that community and my own community and trying to answer as many of those questions as possible. So that's lovely. Thank you, Zoe. Yeah, no, fantastic. So what firstly, you briefly mentioned then going from psych to podcast, how did you get into the area of psychology? Like for me, I studied my Bachelor of Arts or Bachelor of Attendance in psychology at uni. I did that too, but they <laughs> My university switched it to a science degree right at the end, so I managed to graduate with a science degree even though I'd actually enrolled in an arts degree. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one. So I ended up getting into the psychology because of um, I started doing architecture and it wasn't for me. One of the subjects was psychology. I thought I should really quite like that, you know, get inside people's heads, trying to figure them out, trying to figure my, myself out as well. Um, and that's where that started for me. So how did you get into the area of psychology? Then how did that lead into the podcasting and becoming an author? How did that all happen? Okay, I'll try to give you the really short story because yeah, it's nice. quite a story. It's very similar to you. I started off enrolling in journalism. I took an elective in uh, psychology 
but I liked writing and I wanted to write feature articles and all of that kind of stuff, which is, you know, I found out very quickly that when you study journalism, that's not what you study. You learn to write headlines for newspapers and it didn't interest me at all. So very interesting that I've now ended up writing articles and blogs and writing a book. Mm. But I, I, after six months, um, switched to psychology also because I preferred that. Um, but what happened was I graduated with an undergraduate degree and I wasn't too interested in going any further. I wasn't the best student back in the early days, Seems straight out like of high school. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I left uni and went and did a whole lot of other different things, some really interesting things. But really, in my heart, I always sort of knew that psychology was what I enjoyed and what I wanted to do. But I had left it quite a long time. I'd left it almost ten years, and so. I, at that time, there was this brand new booming industry called life coaching. Everybody was becoming a life coach. And I thought, oh, that sounds like that could be uh, interesting, like almost the next best thing for, to psychology if I couldn't finish my psychology uh, postgrad and get my registration. So I became a life coach. Um, I, I got a master's in coaching psychology. And what I found with life coaching, I really enjoyed it. I did some, I think I did some good work and I really loved the um, helping people make positive changes in their lives. Mm -hmm. I still felt like the psychologist thing, like getting re my full registration was unfinished business. And I also found that a lot of people at that time in life coaching were, it scared me a little bit that people were thinking that they could treat any and, and every issue, even including mental health issues, um, with a weekend sort of life coaching certificate, mm -hmm. you know, like a short course in coaching. And I was training life coaches too. I became a trainer and there were people saying, oh, give me somebody with an eating disorder and I'll sort that out with a bit of NLP or something. And it was just, to me, it was horrifying that people thought with no clinical experience or background that they could that they could do that. Mm. So I sort of, I really, I loved the coaching work, but I really wanted to up my own credibility, I guess, and my own, I really wanted to become <laughs> credible and qualified. And it took me back to completing my clinical master's degree. Um, and then I did clinical psych for, well, I have been doing clinical psych ever since. So I guess about almost 10 years. Um, but with the background of that kind of coaching psychology uh, framework and a lot of positive psychology background. And I guess where that led me was that I found that, you know, in private psychology practice, the things that walk into the door are everyday people struggling with life, you know, anxiety and depression and postnatal depression, relationship issues. These are all things that we all grapple with. You know, we're not talking about psychosis or, you know, schizophrenia or those really hard core kind of mental health issues. We're talking about everyday stuff. And then it really occurred to me that the stuff that I was teaching people to help them to recover from these mental health issues is the stuff that we all could use learning just to have a better experience of life. You know, you don't need to end up in a psychologist's office with a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder or OCD or, you know, de major depression if you had these skills earlier and you could learn to overcome, to manage your thoughts, to change the way you, you're thinking and behaving. And so I then just became really passionate about, about wanting to get those messages and those lessons out to the broader community so that people didn't necessarily have to go down that path of ending up 
you know, struggling, really suffering and struggling. So it's almost like shifting back to that positive psychology focus of helping people going from sort of surviving to thriving, you know, rather than taking people who are really in the pit and just getting them back up to functioning normally again, it's at that other end of the spectrum. So I still do some clinical psychology work, but my heart really is in kind of getting that message out more broadly to the general population, hence the podcast, hence the book, etc. Yeah, nice. So in a way, um, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but in a way your passion kind of went towards proactive approaches. Is that right? Yes. Helping people understand the daily things that they can do to, yes. um, I suppose, limit the potential or need to actually go and see a psychologist in a way. So if they can look after themselves really well on a daily basis with those positive psychology methods about adding in more um, beneficial and positive things into your life, then you'll be able to take better care of yourself. So then you won't, when you go to see a psychologist, you won't be in this big heap, <laughs> a big mess. So you can actually, yeah, help hopefully take better care of yourself along the way, yeah. And I also believe that many, many people will, won't ever set foot in a psychologist's office and they could probably at times benefit from oh, yeah. some professional support and treatment, but whether there is a stigma attached, whether people think, oh, I'm not that bad or it's not that bad, you know, so I think there's a lot of people suffering in silence mm. um, and not necessarily seeking professional help. And so even for those people, you know, if they can just learn some of these strategies about how just learning to understand how to relate to your, your, you know, obsessive thoughts, worry thoughts, uh, the negative spiral of, you know, thinking, uh, feeling, behaving, you know, all of that sort of loop. If people can have access to that sort of information, they shouldn't need to go to a psychologist. They should just be able to, you know, start to, you know, I'm talking about not people who are at the extreme, obviously, and really depressed, but people, like you said, day-to-day, things we can learn to do differently to have a better experience and to not be so stuck in these really unhelpful kind of patterns and ways of thinking we can all be happier <laughs> that's it from crappy to happy <laughs> so then i understand that that you are a trainer in the area of mindfulness now as well and yeah i did psychology i also i've always been a meditator and i got really interested in mindfulness because of the science associated with that and helping people uh, overcome you know anxiety depression etc so i trained i did some fairly rigorous training in becoming a mindfulness meditation teacher Okay, so you, you always did my, um, meditation. So when did that start? How did you get into that? About the time that I decided to go back and be a life coach, I was going through, that was a time in my life where I was on a fairly, you know, reasonably successful career path. But like I said, I always kind of knew I wanted to go back and be a psychologist and then I found psychology, uh, found life coaching. But there was a period of time there where I was really like, oh God, what am I doing with my life? You know, where am I going? And I got into meditation and just really, um, oh, it was probably more of a spiritual uh process at the time I've always been a bit into the woo woo <laughs> um you know connecting with mm. the universe mm. and you know achieving your highest good and your highest potential and so I did a bit of uh, some study around meditation and visualization and all that sort of stuff and so I had always done that and sort of learning to trust my intuition I guess is what it boiled down to that sort of meditation like tapping into your inner wisdom and getting out of all of this thinky overthinking brain um yeah and so later when i became a psychologist and mindfulness meditation was the was really you know coming into its own then with all of the study i thought well maybe that's a style of meditation you know to me it was like i can't be too woo woo as a psychologist <laughs> but maybe i can 
maybe this mindfulness meditation might be um, a way that I can bring meditation into my psychology practice. And of course, you know, it comes from Buddhism. So it's, you know, it's uh, got its own sort of um, spiritual roots as well. But it's also very broadly ap- applicable to the general public. It's very secular. It's very science-based. So it's a nice balance. Well, that's it. Re- religious traditions have been doing mindfulness or other forms or of meditation, which is very close to mindfulness, for thousands of years. And yeah. they've been, in a way, banging on about the importance of mindfulness and meditation for years. And, and now science, as you're saying, has proven its effectiveness yeah. and made it okay and made it cool. And now it's absolutely taking off. Um, so, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I put a call out last night on Facebook for questions for today's yeah. episode, for today's chat with you. And normally I would leave the questions to the end, but I thought I'd put them in as we go today. And one of them comes from a good mate of mine, Ted. And we had a chat the other day, actually, about the proper definition of mindfulness. Um, because uh, he, he's wondering, has the actual meaning of mindfulness or the perception some people have around mindfulness, has that been watered down because so many people are talking about it and maybe people are talking about it in, um, with best intentions, but because it's been passed on from person to person without the reading or whatever, maybe the true meaning and understanding um, is decreasing. So how would you, like, what would be the most basic best definition of mindfulness? The definition that I always kind of fall back on is John Kabat-Zinn's definition, which is paying attention on purpose um, in, oh, now I'm going to forget the full definition, but it's basically paying attention on purpose in the present moment in a non-judgmental way. And people still go, well, what does that mean? Um, but I think you're in answer to the part of what you said, yeah, I think you're right. I think that mindfulness has become so much of a buzzword that people either toss it around without really knowing what it means or they dismiss it because it is just a buzzword without really understanding that what it can offer them. Um, but I also think there's a little bit of this, it's, it's what I think John Kabat-Zinn calls McMindfulness. You know, it's like the fast and easy approach to my, how do I get, how do I get a quick fix of mindfulness so that I can just live, you know, be better and happier and all that sort of stuff without actually wanting to put in any work. Mm. <laughs> um, but so I say to people, you know, mindfulness, it's being able to bring your awareness into the present moment and without judgment, without judgment is such a, important part of that so it's not judging your experience as right or wrong or good or bad or I'm doing this wrong or I shouldn't be thinking that or I need to make that go away you know so it's about being very non-judgmental observer of what's happening and I always say to people it's not just observing what's happening outside of you but what is then happening inside of you in response to that so something happens in my life, somebody says something or does something or there's, I've got a work deadline or somebody cuts me off or my husband makes a comment and then what arises within me and can I observe that without judgment and be aware of it and when I say what's happening inside of you, that includes what's the stories I'm telling myself, What then, then based on those stories, if I'm if the story I'm telling myself is that you're rude and you're inconsiderate and you never think of me and da-da-da, blah, blah, blah. Then what feeling does that bring up in me? Anger, resentment, frustration, sadness, loneliness, disappointment, you know, then and then how does that prompt me to want to behave? Because usually that happens in such a split second. Something happens, I make an assumption about it, I have an emotional reaction to it, and then I act based on that emotion. 
So with mindfulness, it's pressing the pause button and saying, this is the story I'm telling myself. This is how that's making me feel. This is how what I really want to do now in response to that or in reaction to that. And can I just pause for a minute and observe all of that and make a more conscious decision about how I want to respond? So to me, that's what mindfulness puts the power back in your hands to choose how you respond in any given situation instead of being constantly hijacked, hijacked by all the stuff in your head, hijacked by all the stories, hijacked by your own emotions and just reacting. That's what we do all day is we react, react, you know, knee-jerk reactions all day. So it's almost it's almost like doing that whole thing about being proactive in your life instead of just reactive. Thank you. That was quite thorough. Thank you. And I didn't mention at the start, but I've been looking forward to chatting with you, Cass, for this one because I've done a lot of reading on mindfulness. I've used lots of different mindfulness apps. Um, my boys go to sleep at night listening to mindfulness. Um, I do mindfulness in the car with my eyes open. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do. Mind- <laughs> I have mindful coffee in the morning sometimes. So yes. I've, I brought two of my joys together, um, mindful running, all this stuff. But I've never actually been able to ask a, an expert, someone who trains people in mindfulness. I've never been able to ask them my questions because you can't ask a book questions. <laughs> you can't ask no. questions. So yeah, I've been looking forward to hearing your thoughts on a whole bunch of different things today, Cass. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I do talk about, yeah, it is that ability to to be aware in the moment of what's happening. And I guess, you know, when we talk about meditation, kind of training that ability to be able to sit and observe. But like you said, running, drinking coffee, there's all sorts of stuff you can do during the day more mindfully. And I think sometimes that gets a bit blurred as well. Like what's mindfulness, what's meditation, how do they interact? Like is one the same as the other or different? I think that sort of comes up a lot. Awesome. Actually, I was going to ask you a different question, but let's, let's go with that one right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what is the difference then? Like, what would, what would you call meditation and what would you call mindfulness? So, what's the difference and why is it different? I call my meditation, there are a lot of people who will tell you, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, like, you know, everybody's got their different opinion, but there are a lot of people who will tell you that um, you can be mindful without meditating. And that is true. You can be mindful as you're driving the car. Bring your attention into the present. Feel your hands on the steering wheel. Notice the sights and sounds and smells and get out of your head. You know, just bring your attention into the, into the, your physical body and your physical experience in that moment. Um, drinking coffee, savoring the taste, being quiet and still. You know, there's all those opportunities to be mindful every day meditation is like the formal practice of training that ability to be still and to observe your thoughts and your will observe your experience what's happening in my mind what's what am I telling myself where does my mind want to take me what's this feeling that's coming up in me at the moment like just observing what's happening moment to moment without any of the noise or distraction mm-hmm. and I kind of use the analogy of when I go to the gym and I dedicate an hour to lifting weights, doing a pump class, that's a very deliberate, focused effort on my working on my fitness. That is formal exercise, right? I am going to the gym to work out. Whereas during the day, if I choose to take the stairs, um, you know, get out of my car a bit earlier and walk the rest of the way, that's incidental exercise. So it's still beneficial to me in little snippets throughout the day. So I kind of liken mindful, like meditation as the going to the gym part, like the formal practice, 
and then the everyday mindfulness as those building in opportunities to continue to cultivate those skills and strengths throughout the day. Sure. So correct me if I'm wrong then, but so mindfulness meditation in a way, would that be when you give yourself 10 to 20 minutes or whatever, it might be five or half an hour, whatever, and Mm -hmm. you sit and you purposefully just focus on your breathing or you do the body scan. So you start at your toes and then you work up to your head or you do the thoughts-based one. So would you call that Formal meditation, mindfulness meditation, yes. Excellent. So so is that different than to like just pure meditation or is that pretty much the same? Is there a difference at all? When it comes to meditation, there's transcendental meditation, which is where you focus on a mantra. There's um, guided visualizations you can do, you know, connecting with your higher self, um, manifesting you, what you want to create. Like there's all sorts of different approaches to meditation that people can use. With mindfulness meditation, I guess it is fundamentally it is about choosing an object of your attention, whether that is your breath or sound or your thoughts or whatever it is that you choose to intentionally put your attention on and then just being aware of when your mind wants to take you somewhere else and bringing it back. So, yeah, if I'm focusing on my breath, my intention is I'm breathing. I'm just focusing on the sensation of breathing. Thought comes up, I need to do the washing. I need to go to take the rubbish out. I need to, and then I go, oh, thinking, no, like unhook and come back to the breath. So that training, the capacity to be able to notice where your mind wants to take you, that's a big misconception. People think they have to turn off thinking. Like if I'm thinking, I'm doing it wrong. Thinking never stops. It's just that you recognize, you observe the fact that I'm thinking, unhook from the thinking and redirect your attention back to what you initially decided to focus on, whether that be your breath, sound, etc. Nice one. And Cass, what you just said then is is for Craig. <laughs> Craig left a message. Uh, he asked a question pretty much about that. And so just before I, I, I say his question, I suppose, um, I find that if I'm doing mindfulness when I'm tired, if I'm doing the mindfulness meditation and I'm tired, my mind wanders so much more than if I'm feeling alert and awake, for example. So I need to bring my attention back more and more and more when I'm doing that. But then afterwards, I do have that sense of clarity, which is nice. So Craig says, how do you actually, like, what are some strategies or exercises you can use to settle your mind? Before you get into that mindfulness meditation, what are some things that you can do? Um, I don't know that you necessarily need to like go through any major preparation process to be able to sit in meditation. I think if there is an, if there is an assumption that I need to quiet my mind before I can meditate, then that's a false assumption. That's that's not that's not what it's about. When you sit down, you can sit down with the busiest racing mind and because this is where People get caught up in that idea that my mind needs to be quiet and still and relatively calm in order for me to meditate properly. Like there's no right or wrong way to meditate. There's just meditate. And if I notice that my mind is very busy and whirling and, and I'm anxious and there's lots of stuff going on in my head, as long as I'm just aware of that and not judging that and not, you know, and just being able to observe that and do my very best to come back to my breathing or whatever it is that I'm focusing on, then that's meditation. That's it. It's not bad meditation. It's not wrong meditation. It's just meditation. And there will be days when your mind is naturally 
quieter or more calm. And there'll be days when you just, you're yanking yourself back out of those thoughts, like almost every three seconds, you know, having to come back and come back and come back. And we all have those days. And I think that's the other thing where people get tripped up is um, thinking that there are particular conditions that need to be met or optimal. Like people will say, I can't meditate because the kids are so noisy outside and distracting. The point is not to create the perfect conditions. The point is to be able to notice the noisy kids and still come back to your breath. It's to be able to observe that a truck just rattled past my window and disturbed me and not judge that and still just come back to your breath. It's just let it go. I will say, though, for Craig, it can be very helpful to bring your awareness to your physical sensation. So when we say focus on breathing, like feel your breath moving in and out of your body. When you focus in on the physical, your physical body, your physical body is always here in the present moment. Your mind very, very rarely is. It's thinking about what happened yesterday, what you need to do tomorrow, what you've got to do after you finish this meditation, telling you this is a waste of time, you know, all of that noise. So every time you come back into your physical body, you're unhooking from you. and your yeah, thinking I know mind. Me, so that I'm can be really like, I do focus on the physical a lot more and that's why it works so well when I'm driving. Um, I feel my feet on the accelerator and I actually get really surprised by how little pressure you actually need on the accelerator to keep going so I've just become aware of that and then I feel the sensation of of me sitting on the chair and then all the bumps in the road and when I get to that stage of feeling the bumps in the road I feel I'm far more present then Um, there's a time when I'd be catching the bus when I had an office in the city I'd catch the bus home and I'd do the body scan on the bus and my mind would be racing until I got to my lower back for the body scan I'd start at my toes work up to my back and I don't know what it was but when I got to my back it just clicked most of the time Um, yeah yeah, and sometimes also for me, like if I'm just ironing, I'll just focus on sounds or if I'm shaving, I'll focus on sounds and, and that really helps me connect as well. Um, so in terms of mindfulness, there's so many different outcomes. And as you mentioned before, it's about being completely present in the moment, focusing on one thing without judgment, being completely accepting. By doing that, we have clearer thoughts, we can respond instead of react. Is there supposed to be one main outcome or is there like a whole suite of different things that that can happen because for me i've seen many different outcomes in my own life and the and the people i use mindfulness with like is there a main target goal or is it just many benefits i don't think so like i don't think you can narrow it down to just one benefit i mean we we know now with the science behind it that there's all sorts of proven benefits um, that come from practicing mindfulness meditation consistently and regularly and and in a very short space of time you know we see results after as little as you know four weeks I think most of the studies initially were done on eight weeks of practice and there's been other studies on 12 weeks and 16 weeks but even as little as four weeks um, people report reduced you know in this in this emotional psychological uh, aspect like reduced stress and worry and anxiety and obviously uh, reduce rates, relapse rates of depression. That's a big one. Um, any sort of anxiety disorders, panic and things like that tend to be managed with mindfulness. Physically, though, you know, people report um, improvements in their physical health, immunity, and I, there's some really interesting research coming out now about even the activation or 
deactivation of, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to say this right, but basically if you have, you know how genes will express a disease, like you can have a gene for a disease, but it will either switch on or switch off, like certain environment, epigenetics, right? So certain environmental conditions will make the decision about whether a particular disease gene is activated and turned on or not. And there are certain meditations which actually reduce the likelihood that those genes of disease will turn on. That's um, Sure, I have not said that the proper way, but but that basically that's it. And also um, your telomeres, which are the strands on the end of your DNA cells, they shorten it with ageing and illness. And people who are regular mindfulness or regular meditation uh, practitioners have longer telomeres. So potentially it is slowing the ageing process with um, regular mindfulness meditation. It thickens the grey matter in your brain. You know, it actually it's not just about feeling better, but the parts of your brain associated with anxiety, stress, fear, worry, positive mood, all of that, that it's actually transforming your brain physically. So there's a mountain of research, and I think we can't pin it down to just one. I would just say get into it because there's <laughs> much goodness <laughs> to be to be had oh yeah and is there like a a certain amount per day that if we at least do this many minutes a day we get those benefits Look, the last thing I heard everybody ask that question, I asked that question when I was doing my teacher training and I'm pretty sure at the time it was roughly 12 minutes was the optimal. I've been doing um, 10, all right, another two minutes. Oh, you've okay. got to up it. <laughs> Yeah, I aim for 20. I try to do 20. But I know a lot of apps have a 10-minute meditation. I always say if you could do, you, know, you stretch it out to 15, that's probably a good thing. But, um, yeah, look, maybe that's changed, but I'm fairly sure at the time. Because clearly when they do the science, they they dig deeper. Okay, so what is it then? Like how long do you have to do it? How often do you have to do it? All of that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm fairly sure sort of 12, 12 and a half minutes or something was came out of one study a little while ago. So that you can go on that. And I suppose so. If we if we set our alarm for twelve and a half minutes, <laughs> it's probably not the right intention there <laughs> behind the mindfulness practices. Maybe but, not. No. But if somebody is w- wanting to get started in mindfulness, mm. if they just want to give this a go, what would you recommend? What would be an, a good way for them to get involved to get started? I did not come here necessarily to do a sales pitch, Dave, but I do happen <laughs> to have it. I actually have put together an online course, a mindfulness. It's called Mindfulness for Busy People. I've heard that you've got a mindfulness course called Mindfulness for Busy oh. People, Cass. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I do. And obviously, I, having trained as a mindfulness meditation teacher, I was teaching it in groups. And there's just challenges with, with attending courses, especially eight weeks in a row. You've got to find childcare, car parking, leave work. It doesn't fit your schedule. I have to hire a room, all of that sort of stuff. It's challenging. And so I, I put together what I know. It's essentially sort of based on the eight-week mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, but it's not necessarily for people who have depression or anxiety. It's for the everyday person. And I included some extra bits that I thought were really helpful, like stuff about self-compassion. And it's available online. And it's starting on the 25th of February, um, but it does start sort of a few times each year. I open up the doors uh, and it's all of my knowledge. It's audio lessons. I'm in the Facebook group answering questions. And it just really does teach you sort of walk you step by step through what am I supposed to be doing here? 
you know, it gives you very specific, just do this meditation this week, you know, next week, just do this meditation and then let's talk about it. And also other exercises that teach you to incorporate more mindfulness in your everyday life. Mm. Apart from that, there are <laughs> countless, a countless apps you can download. Mm. Um, I use the Insight Timer app and another one, a good one is the Calm app, but there are lots of them. People tell me, though, even when they download the app, they say, well, they still, like, where do I start? What do I do? Am I doing it right? Those questions still come up. So that's a sort of also why I created the course, so that I could be there to answer those questions as people, you know, get started and as all of that standard stuff that comes up. Like, is this supposed to happen? Why am I, why is this happening? Um, so, yeah, you could, but you can absolutely start with an app and, and just just do it, I say. Excellent. We'll put the link to your course in our show notes. And oh, I highly thank you. recommend our listeners to go check it out. And thank you. we use Smiling Mind at home. So I use uh-huh. that with my sons. They really like the emotions one. It's about, um, uh, they talk about going under the sea and you can see the different animals and their different emotions and things. And the Smiling Mind app has programs in there for, for beginners and that as well. Um, and I use that for a while. Then I, started to learn it myself so i was able to take it on and do it myself without needing the app um yes but again i highly recommend our do life better community go check out your course cast that'd be brilliant so in terms of you doing and maybe this might be a difficult question to answer now because you've been doing mindfulness and meditation for so long but have you noticed significant changes in your own life your health your relationships your thinking processes, your decision decision making, have you noticed massive changes for you? Look, I think, I don't know if you could say massive. I think the the changes you notice are over time, and I tell people this all the time, like even if you think nothing's happening, even if you think, oh, well, I'm just doing this and I'm not really sure I'm getting anything out of it, you do tend to start to notice fairly quickly that you become just less reactive, you know, like little things just don't irritate you so much. And I notice that. And I notice that when I do have a strong emotional reaction to something, like if something's really frustrated me or upset me, I notice that I just have a much better capacity to be able to just stop, step back from it and just really be curious about instead of just being really overwhelmed and caught up in those big feelings and the big story, um, you know, just be curious about what's really going on here, what's what's really set me off, like what's happening. I think when you can, when you can do that without judging yourself or without getting completely swallowed up by big feelings, but also when you can actually look at it without needing to, because this is the other thing people do, is I need to avoid it. I feel like shitty, so I'm going to just drink a bottle of wine, I'm going to eat a packet of muffins and then I'm just going to make myself feel so much better. And when you can not run away from it, not get consumed by it, but stand in that middle section where I can just be with this, observe it, be curious about it, and then look after myself. Like, what do I need? What do I need to give myself right now? Or what do I need to say to that person? That comes from a place of compassion and wisdom, not just angry or, you know, reactive or spite or, you know, whatever it might be. I think you notice over time, I do. I have noticed over time that I have a much, not that I get it right all the time, none of us do, but just being able to uh, be less reactive and be a little bit more skillful is the word in (laughs) managing just those inevitable kind of ups and downs of life. You just tend to, I find I just tend to sail through life on a bit more even keel, which is really nice. It's actually 
pretty good. <laughs> That's one of the benefits I've found with myself in terms of not being reactive, being responsive instead. Like, um, I've always been, um, I don't know if emotional is the right word, but like, I, I get excitable very easily, very enthusiastic. But then if I get, I get angered and frustrated and impatient quite quickly as well. And so with my two young sons, I did not want to be a reactive dad. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be an impatient dad. I don't, don't want to be a dad who yells and snaps. So I've noticed myself that I am becoming more responsive. I'm not perfect at all. I still sometimes end up being the dad I don't want to be, but I'm getting better. So I'm really working on being a lot more responsive, creating more space between the trigger event and my response. Um, And also really wanting to work on more about removing myself from the situation to be more of an, an observer, I suppose. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, it, to not react to what someone says out of ego, but to understand, hang on, let's put my ego to the side now. What's really happening here? How can I, as you said before, take a more skillful approach to that? So that's what I'm really working on. Is there something that you're still wanting to improve in with your mindfulness exercises? Oh, yeah. Well, I would think we could all do with being a bit more consistent. Like even me after years and years, I still can't go in and out of it. I would say that though, like, you know, when life gets busy, I'm just like everybody, it it can fall off. Like the, the regular daily meditation can kind of stop happening for a while. But I would say that having had a long standing mindfulness practice, those benefits stay. Like, you know, they you they see you through when they're there it's like building a muscle you don't just automatically lose all your fitness overnight if you stop training for a while like it 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 hangs in there for a while um but then there are definitely i get to times when i think well like no it's almost like when you you know when you've had like way too much junk food and you just crave a vegetable i get to points in my life if i haven't been doing it i've been too busy too stressed overwhelmed i haven't been doing it it's like my my whole body and mind just craves meditation like I just have to find a place to sit and just be still and I just and in those times I'll just like put in my earphones and maybe listen to a you know a a meditation on an app um, or something that just helps me to just come back and focus my attention in but yeah it's like oh like I I literally like crave it I need it (laughs) Um, but you know just being more consistent I think is always is always good and I'm like you like parenting's the big one my daughter's turning 13 um I want to be really present and available for her I you know I think the other thing with parenting is when you do get it wrong or when you do like we all still have moments when we just lose it completely like no I don't necessarily have those so much anymore but being able to go back and and apologize too. Like that's another whole that's another whole subject to do with attachment and you know mindful parenting and stuff. But the capacity, if there has been a rupture in any kind of relationship, to be able to go back and repair that and to be able to say that was really out of line for me. I was really I'm stressed with work and I should never have taken that out on you. And I think that's been really helpful in um, strengthening the relationship that I have with her as well. Um, so mm, always, always something to learn, always something to improve upon, I suppose. Mm. Uh, but then the whole thing about mindfulness too is that it's supposed to be non-striving. You know, it's the intention of mindfulness is not to get anywhere or achieve anything or even relaxation. Like people, John Kabat-Zinn, I keep referring to John Kabat-Zinn. He basically introduced mindfulness to Western medicine and he established MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction. So he was a big teacher of mine. Um, 
But he always says, remember that the goal of mindfulness or meditation is just to meditate. It's not to achieve anything or to change anything. It's just to be with what is and learn to accept what is and be present to what is. So I'm kind of conscious of that too, like not being too goalsy about meditation. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, there's something with that I want to mention in a second. Before I do... um, I never actually thought about it this way before, but when you said that when, if you have a moment when you react, afterwards mm. you're more aware of that, oh, hang on, I can go and apologize. <laughs> That's, that didn't line <laughs> up with my values. That's one yeah. that I've noticed too. I hadn't actually put that down to mindfulness before, but maybe like when I do snap, when I do react, when I do act out of anger or whatever, now I find like I'm more aware of it afterwards and more able to go and acknowledge that and say, you know what, I stuffed up. <laughs> I made a mistake then and I'm sorry about that to help restore that relationship and keep moving forward. You know what I think drives that too? It's at the centre of mindfulness, and this is a huge thing for me too, the centre of mindfulness is self-compassion. So that whole non-judgment thing, that means I can have these thoughts, I can have these feelings and I don't judge myself for that. So intrinsic and like implied in that is self-kindness like I can be kind to myself even if I stuff up even if I fail even if I lose my shit I can still have compassion for myself and when I have self-compassion rather than shame like when I don't feel so badly about what I did that I have to kind of get defensive about it or you know pull walls up or you know all of that sort of stuff then you do when you can be more kind to yourself then you have far greater capacity to own your mistakes because you're not beating yourself up for it you can actually acknowledge that and admit to it and repair it because you're not caught in all of that self-recrimination and guilt and shame and trying to make excuses or blame somebody else for it or whatever it might be so that's another huge benefit i think from mindfulness yeah that's funny actually because i used to when i get angry i get guilty that i'm angry then frustrated yeah. that I'm guilty that I'm angry, then angry, then frustrated. And it just keeps building up more and more and more and more. And I still get to the stage of being angry, then guilty that I'm angry. And then I'm like, no, hang on. Don't be guilty <laughs> about being angry. Like, let's yeah. just allow the anger to be there and then let yeah. it go. And when I do that, I can, again, take much more of a valued action more easily and then transition out of that anger more quickly as well yes layers and layers and layers i say that to my clients all the time okay so what happens well i got frustrated or or even anxiety like i feel anxious and then what happens well then i feel upset with myself that i'm still anxious then i go into like why am i still feeling like this then i do that layer 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 okay if we can just take off all of those other layers and just stay with the primary experience the primary experience is anger the primary experience is sadness or whatever it is let's just be with that Like, let's just remove all of that other stuff, allow this to be what it is, be curious about it, acknowledge it, and let it go. And funnily enough, it just, it moves a lot more quickly (laughs) when you can do that. Like, be present to it, but not add all that other stuff to it. That's such a great point. Thank you. Um, What I was going to say earlier, too, you mentioned before about not using mindfulness with a goal in mind. Um, <laughs> I feel a bit guilty now with that. But so, so I, I run programs with students around Australia, and even just during the week, um, we, it was a really, really hot day. No aircon in this classroom. They come in after lunch. They're doing such a great job for most of the day. Coming after lunch, really tired, really fidgety. One of the students said, "I just cannot focus at all," and I'm really big on how can I instead of I can't. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. Let's do some mindfulness. <laughs> and I got them, I stepped through this, um, the three senses mindfulness practice. And it's where you just focus on your breathing first. Then what's five things I can feel, five things I can hear, then five things I can see. And then afterwards, I asked that student, so how are you feeling now? Can you, are you fidgety now or are you calm? And they're like, yeah, no, I'm feeling much calmer now. <laughs> so I think there are opportunities in schools. I actually put something on um, Instagram and Facebook this morning about a police... Um, there, there's some police over in Canada who do mindfulness meditation before their shifts to help them yeah. respond more effectively during their shift. So I think there are times that we can use them for a greater outcome, like teachers who even do five minutes at the start of a class have more productive yeah. class, or if they do it at, um, just before lunch or just after lunch, it has benefits as well. So I kind of like that balance there. I think we all do it because we, I mean, the whole reason we do it is because we want to be less reactive or more calm or more present. Like we have those kind of goals in mind. I think it's probably more about when I actually sit to meditate for the next 12 and a half minutes, (laughs) (laughs) minutes or whatever, I'm not sitting there thinking that I'm doing it wrong unless I have achieved perfect peace and my mind is calm and I feel relaxed. Like people tell me, I think I'm doing it wrong because I'm meditating, but I don't feel relaxed. And I say to people, you know what? What about what if you're experiencing, like you said, anger? If I'm being fully present to my anger, not feeling very relaxed in that moment, but I'm being present to it and I'm not trying to change it or fix it or make it be something different. I'm just acknowledging it. So it's that when people say, oh, I got really angry, so I tried to meditate to make me less angry. Do you know there's a difference there? It's like I'm meditating with the goal to fix this, what I consider to be like a bad um, emotion or a negative state. I'm not meditating to try to fix anything. I'm being mindful and I'm being present to what is and being non-judgmental about it. And then, paradoxically, it goes away. But I didn't do it with the intention, I'm going to fix it, change it, make it different or better. Or, You know, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's that subtle difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's the non-striving. Like when people say, okay, I'm going to meditate, I'm going to be so relaxed. Um, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes you're just not. And so that can cause problems because you're thinking that you're you're not actually you're not actually accepting what's happening in the present without judgment. You're wanting the present moment to be something different from what it is. Yeah, and we're judging something that we do to not be judging. <laughs> we're, we're judging the effectiveness <laughs> of mindfulness, but mindfulness is all about not judging. <laughs> so yeah, you get into a loop. Um, Shauna posted on Facebook last night a question for you as well in terms of and we kind of mentioned this just now too are there specific mindfulness techniques for specific emotions like would you do one thing and you just spoke to this just now but would you do one thing for anger or frustration or something else for nervousness before you have to get up and speak in front of a big group of people or something are there techniques that are more beneficial Look, I think as part of well, there's a section in the course that I teach which is about mindfulness for unpleasant emotions, I guess, and that's something that we do teach in in you know all sort of mindfulness courses will have some element of that, which is about well, how do I sit with things that are difficult or unpleasant? If I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling angry or if I'm feeling really upset about something, um, 
even if it's something in myself that I'm not happy with. Like, so there is a practice that is specifically about turning towards discomfort. Um, and it's essentially, you know, just going through the process of like, what am I feeling? What am I telling myself? What am I feeling? What's, what am I, what's the urge that I have? What, what do I feel inclined to do? how to to react and then just being able to observe that come back to a place of being more centered and then from that place kind of choosing a response as opposed to reacting um with anxiety you know i teach people as a psychologist that calm breathing deep calm breathing is the is the um most immediate way to reduce an experience of anxiety, you know, to get you out of that fight or flight reaction and calm your, down your physiology and activate your um, parasympathetic nervous system is to focus on deep, calm breathing. And that's kind of different from mindfulness because that does have the intention of actually calming you down. That's not just about kind of being, oh, look, I'm anxious. Like, okay, let's just ride this out. That's actually about, okay, what can I do? I'll calm my breathing right down. Um, but apart from that, Mm, I don't know that there's actually specific meditations for specific um, emotions. I think it's all just about being present and acknowledging mm. what you're experiencing. But from that place of acknowledgement, then making the wise choice about, well, what would be in my best interest right now? Yes. Like what, what would be a useful thing for me to do right now? And sometimes that is. Like with mindfulness meditation, we say just breathe. You don't have to change your breathing. You don't have to slow it down or breathe like some, you know, Buddhist monk. You just breathe. Just observe your breathing. Whereas if you're anxious, well, then clearly you actually want to slow your breathing right down because that's going to have the effect of calming down your physiology. Does that answer the question? It does. And I think it also answers Shell's question too, which was is there a best mindfulness technique for reducing stress? So I think you've answered that as well then too. And I also wonder if... It's also about the proactive approach, isn't it? If you have a daily practice of mindfulness, mm. then you're setting yourself up better. You're helping to rewire your brain, grow different areas within your brain to help like the amygdala that, that helps process stress and deal yes. with stress. So you set yourself up to better um, deal with the day coming so that if a stressful event happens, you're not as stressed. But then if you still feel stressed, then return to your breathing <laughs> Um, you know, do the three senses activity or whatever works for you really, hey? Yeah. And we teach also like the three-minute breathing space, which is a very short, quick, almost like an emergency kind of calm um, process. So taking three minutes out again to just be, okay, what's going on here? What's the stories I'm telling myself? What's happening in my body? Calm down, relax my shoulders, relax my jaw, you know, notice the tension, the tension in my body um, and bring myself back to a state of more calm mindfulness, not to fix the stress, but to be present to it, mm -hmm. to recognize what's happening in me so that then I can, you know, choose to do something different or to, you know, to unwind. But what you said, I think is the main thing, like, what are you doing on a day-to-day -day basis to help you cultivate that capacity or to um, to be more calm generally as opposed to using mindfulness or meditation as a quick fix? Yes. Oh, stress, I need to meditate. Well, maybe if we were doing more meditation or mindfulness on an ongoing basis, we would experience stress in not such a problematic way. That's right. It's almost kind of like... I went for a run today and I felt exhausted. How can I stop feeling exhausted after I go for a run? Well, if I run more often, <laughs> then I'll feel less exhausted each time I run, that type of thing. So the more exercise I do, the fitter I get. So the more mindfulness you do, the more easily you can deal with the stress that comes up. 
So I feel like I could keep asking you many questions about this because <laughs> I love this topic, yeah? And, but I'm very conscious of time. And so before we get to our final questions, Cass, you mentioned the daily practices. So mm. like have you had your time of meditation, mindfulness today? Or what would be your ideal day in terms of being mindful and, and using meditation? Yeah, I like to do at least 10 minutes um, first thing in the morning. Um, whether and I know I said 12, but you know I say at least 10 minutes and that means like if I'm a, if I've got a busy day and I can just plug in for example the calm app. So the calm app is just a, it's that's a fairly new one for me. I've not used it before, but it has like a 10 minute daily calm, mm-hmm. which is really just focusing on your breath. It's just mindfulness, but at the end for the last maybe two or three minutes she talks about a particular topic, whether that's self-comparison or um, breaking habits. So she just like drops in a little sort of pearl of wisdom towards the end there to set you up for the day. But often even after that's finished, I will continue to sit, you know, just in silence for another few minutes until I'm ready to move on. I will sometimes do immediately, if I've got the time, immediately after meditation is a good time to journal. I do some, like I'm not a person who sits and does my morning pages religiously every single morning, but sometimes I will just sort of do a bit of an offload into a journal immediately after meditating. Um, the other thing, though, is that well, I, I, I just, know... Just with that, yes. sorry, sorry just interrupt. I want to get back to where you're about to go, but just with yeah. that, people who exercise, so for me, I do exercising, then I might do mindfulness afterwards. So I kind of go from the high of exercising, but then come down and up being really calm because I've done mindfulness. So a lot of people talk about, what should I do first? Should I do mindfulness, then exercise? Or exercise, then mindfulness? Or does it really just depend on the type of stage you want to end up in afterwards? I don't know that it really matters, Dave. I think we're getting a little bit prescriptive if we're saying we'll do this and then do that. Like, you know, first thing I do every morning is have a coffee, rightly or wrongly. First thing when I wake up. And I keep telling myself, I probably should have lemon water. I should probably should have tea or I probably should have like a green smoothie. I have coffee. And and then I meditate. Like and I even on my teacher training, a woman, another teacher, trainer, participant, said oh, how can you have coffee before you meditate? Don't you find that it really wires you? And I went, I don't think so. Like she couldn't have coffee before she meditated. That was just her. Whereas for me, I have a coffee, I meditate. You know, if I'm going to do some exercise, I'm not very consistent with that at the moment. Um, But I will then do some exercise or sometimes I do it the other way. Like honestly, I don't have a a strict kind of schedule about that. Um, And then I have another coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I think probably in my morning. <laughs> nice one, nice one. Yeah, thank you because I did. I didn't think it would really matter too much. Yeah. So again, some people I've been talking with are like, which one do you do first? And, and so it's nice to hear that it's not prescriptive. It's just whatever works for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think if I was a person who was a runner, which I'm not, sometimes I I walk and sometimes obviously I do the TFXO workouts and things like that. But I think sometimes people use exercise almost to, you know, a lot of energy. Like if you've got a lot of stuff on your mind, people, you know, mull things over or do that and then they find that they can come back and sit more calmly in meditation. Some people like to meditate as soon as they wake up when they're really, like in those first moments after you wake up is really when I guess your mind is the most clear, especially if you have managed to not look at your phone. I recommend not looking at your phone. I'm working on that big time at the moment. Um, So I am... I, I do best when I turn the phone off and keep it out of the bedroom. If it's hand, if it's close by, it's really easy to grab it, so I try not to do that. Um, yeah, so 
that's the reason why a lot of people meditate first thing in the morning is because that's when your mind, when you've just woken up, it's when your mind is the most clear and calm. Um, having said that, I went through a period where early mornings were really bad for me. I don't remember when it might have been when my daughter was very young and I got out of the habit and I realized that I was telling myself that if I didn't, like if I didn't do it first thing in the morning, I basically didn't do it at all. And I realized that that was just, that's ridiculous. Like there's nothing to stop me from doing it at lunchtime or at the end of the day or before bed. Mm -hmm. And so I started to just get a little bit more flexible with just fitting it in when I can fit it in. And again, just letting go of all those rules about when is you should do it or when's the best time to do it. Just just doing it is anytime. Nice. It's good. So you try to do it in the morning, as you were saying before, before I interrupted you. <laughs> then do you yeah. find moments throughout the day to catch yourself with your breathing? Um, or like for me, before we chatted, for example, I sat down and made sure to have a few quiet moments of just breathing. Um, or before I go to a meeting, I do the same. Before I get home, I do the same. So yeah, do you find opportunities throughout the day? Yeah, I do try to do the same as you. If I'm about to go into a situation, I do try to just find them. Even if I'm going to a meeting and I go to the toilets or something, like, and I just center myself and take some breaths and calm myself because my mind can be very much, you know, forward thinking about what I'm doing and what I'm saying and what's going on. So I do try to find those opportunities. Also, if I'm feeling like if I've got, a, obviously, I work from home like you do, I, as in I work for myself. So I can often have lots of different projects going on at the same time, and I can find my head getting very you know, get almost getting caught in that overwhelm. Um, so when I feel like that, just taking myself out, sitting down, calming down, maybe getting out a notepad also just kind of dumping stuff that's in my head so that I can just center myself again because otherwise I just tend to just be so frenetic and all over the place and scattered that I get nothing done. So it's just being aware of what's going on so that you can make a decision about what's what would be a good thing for me to do right now? Maybe I just need to take a moment. <laughs> and maybe I just need to take a few deep breaths. Um, or if I notice I'm getting really irritated, I will just like that. That's not typical of me. So what's going on? Calm down. Like, take a breath. What's driving this? You know, it's just being really aware of what's going on so that you can respond in the best way that you So, again, I can keep need. asking more questions. <laughs> I'm really conscious of the time. Uh, is there anything, before our final two questions, is there anything else I haven't asked you that you think our Do Life Better community would really benefit from hearing? My main messages are around the mindfulness thing, like whatever questions people ask me or how do I change this or how do I fix this or I've got a problem with my partner or all of the stuff that just typically comes up, the day-to-day -day problems, my answer always starts with mindfulness. So I think we've covered that pretty well so far. And the other one, the big one, is the self-compassion message, which is sort of implicit in mindfulness. And I've made it very explicit in my course for that reason, because it's sort of implied with mindfulness, with the non-judgment thing. But what they found with the research is that one of the main reasons that people end up uh, having reduced relapse rates of depression, when they looked at, well, why is that so? Like what's keeping people well instead of falling back into depression? It's the increased self-compassion, that ability to be able to be kind to yourself in times of struggle and difficulty and when you perceive that you failed or stuffed up or you've done something wrong. So self-compassion is massive to me. Um, and so I've, I've included like a whole section on, on that in my course and I teach it to people every, every opportunity that I get. I'm encouraging people to just be a little bit kinder to themselves. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, um, especially in all of our best efforts to improve ourselves and live our best lives 
sometimes that can veer towards almost like I'm not good enough as I am. I need to be better or do better. Like, yes, be better. Yes, do better, all of that, but not because there's something inherently wrong with me now. I'm not flawed or broken or um, not good enough or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I want to be the best version of myself, but I'm still I'm pretty great as I am, you know? Yes, it's that exactly. message. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Thanks. So speaking of your course again, um, and if our listeners would like to get in contact with you, what would be, and again, we'll put these in the show notes, but where are you most active on social media? How would our listeners get in touch with you? We should give them a discount. We should definitely give a discount to see how many yeah. people come on board. Let's take $50, because so it's $247, and normally the early bird is $197, $197 for the eight-week course. I'm also including a whole series of mindfulness masterclasses in this next round, so we'll go really deep dive into certain topics. Um, but I'll make a coupon code, Do Life Better. Nice one. Um, for, for anybody who wants to take the $50 off because the early bird's finished, mm-hmm. um, but I'll, I'll give people that will tell people do life better and just to get the early bird rate still. Is that all right? Is that a good idea? Oh, um, yeah. That's a bit spur of the moment. Because um, oh, now it. we've talked so much about it, I think that people should have an incentive to come join. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page, Cast Dunn Psychologist, or my, my just my profile is Cast Dunn. I pretty much accept all friend requests um, because that's my public that's kind of my public profile where I do a lot of I promote what I'm doing um and I'm on Instagram it's castdun underscore xo so Facebook and Instagram is where I hang out I'm not much of a tweeter um I'm a Facebook and castdun.com is my website Excellent. We'll have all of that in the show notes. And thank you for that offer for the uh, 50% off for our, our community. Um, yeah. $50, $50, not 50%. Oh, sorry. Did I say 50%? <laughs> $50. Yeah, Let's be super clear on that. $50 off, not 50%, $50 off. <laughs> I did write down $50. So anyway, um, thank you again. Thank you for that. That's incredibly generous. I highly recommend everyone to jump on there, get your $50 off <laughs> using that coupon code, do life better. Um, so with that then Cass what would be your definition of doing life better doing life better is doing like doing you you know doing life your way Um, I think that stems from that self-compassion thing and knowing that you are enough and that you're a quality human being and that letting go of comparison and self-judgment and self-criticism and other people's opinions and what other people think you should be doing and just doing you. I think that's a really good um, – because I think we get very caught up in fear and what will people think and am I – good, you know, all of that am I good enough kind of stuff. Just think knowing that you're okay and you're doing a pretty bloody good job is, um, is doing life better. Nice message. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> so then if uh, you could give our listeners a challenge for this week, apart from – Go into your website, <laughs> do love better, coupon code, $50 off. Apart from that challenge, <laughs> what challenge would you give our listeners to help them do their life better this week? I think if anybody who doesn't already have a mindfulness practice would, you know, I mean, even just taking five minutes, even just like you said, like being more mindful when you drive the car, um, being more mindful as you have a shower or when you're making food or eating food, just taking any little opportunity to practice being more present in the moment and noticing how um, how much your mind wants to take you away from where you are and go into thinking, judging, planning, worrying, 
you know, and coming back to the present. I think just trying to incorporate a bit more of that into day-to-day life is a really useful challenge because I always say that any other change that you want to make, it has to start from a place of noticing what's happening as it's happening. You have to be present in the moment. If you've got a bad habit you want to break, if you're reactive in your relationships, if you're whatever it might be that you want to do differently in your life, self-criticism, if you want to be kinder to yourself, you have to be able to notice in the moment when you're doing something that's not that in order to be able to choose a wiser, different, more skillful response. And that has to start with mindfulness. Awesome. Cass, I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat with you today. Me too. We've been in contact over social media, been incredibly helpful with some advice that you've been giving me recently. And it's been really nice to finally connect properly. And again, I I could keep talking with you. I'm very aware of time. Um, But thank you very much for the incredible work you were doing in the community. Um, as you said, you went from um, working with people one-to-one and, and seeing a great need for the rest of the community. And so starting up your courses, um, TIFXO, um, your podcast, your book, uh, your podcast is what number one regularly in Australia. Um, I saw no. something like there's over 2 million downloads. I'm not jealous at all, Cass, no. <laughs> um, but you, just like 3 million, Dave. 3 um, million, you're serious. Well yeah. done. Can I just- I just got the numbers yesterday. Uh, by the way, kudos to, do, to you too because you were doing a great job. It's not just all about me. But um, we got 660,000 downloads in January. Wow. Oh, my God. And that is that was before we released season three. That was based on the last two seasons and the last content we produced was a year ago. So we had a big spike around that Christmas, New Year time. Obviously, a lot of people wanting to be a little bit less crappy and more happy. Um <laughs> Yeah. So we had a major yeah. spike and then, of course, now season three has come out. So hopefully those numbers will will keep growing. But, yeah, yeah it's it's awesome. It's awesome. I have loved it. You're absolutely smashing it. Obviously, there's a huge need out there and you're meeting that. Um, you're giving people the advice, the tips, the strategies, even just that, your messages of self-compassion. Um, a lot of people are lapping that up. It's making a massive difference for lots of people out there. And I know it has for me as well, talking to you today, the advice you've given me in the past and also listening to your episode. So, Cass, thank you for your time today and thank you for the Thanks, incredible Dave. work you're doing out there in the community. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. So there we have it, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this chat as much as I did recording it with Cass just recently. So remember her challenge for this week, which is to find a mindfulness practice that works for you. So is it going to be 12 and a half minutes each day of mindfulness meditation, or will it be finding moments throughout your day to be more mindful, or both? And make sure that you take advantage of this very special offer where you get to receive $50 off Cass's upcoming mindfulness course for busy people. That's right. Make sure you go to cassdunn.com forward slash courses dash events. Go to the Mindfulness for Busy People eight-week online course. Sign up there. When you do, enter in the coupon code Do Life Better. Remember, it needs to be lowercase. So the coupon code again is Do Life Better, all lowercase. Remember, this will be a game changer for you. It will help you grow in your self-compassion and compassion towards other people. It will help you take more valued action. It will help you process and handle your stress, anxiety, anger, and the whole range of emotions much, much better. So make sure you do sign up for this Mindfulness for Busy People eight-week course at 
podcastdone.com forward slash courses dash events. Use the coupon code do life better. Make sure it is all lowercase. I would love to hear how this goes for you when you do sign up. Let us know. Put it up there on Instagram. Tag me in there. Tag Cass again at castdone underscore XO. Tag us in there. We'd love to know that you'll sign up for that course. So again, thank you very much for joining me today. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. That way you do not miss out on any upcoming episode. Got a whole stack of exciting guests coming up soon, which I can't wait to bring to you. So make sure that you subscribe so that you get to hear all those ones. Leave a rating and a review. That would be fantastic if you can do that little favor for me, please. And of course, as usual, I can't wait till next time. Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. And have you subscribed yet? By subscribing to this podcast, that enables you to get notifications every single time a new episode is released. In your podcast app, you can find all the show notes for every episode. And if you'd like to get in contact, you can do so via email at hello at projecthatch.com.au. That's hello at projecthatch.com.au. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, share it with someone you think will benefit from these messages. And now it's time to get out there and do life better.